Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. I am Lizelle and in this weekly wellbeing podcast series, I bring you leading experts from the world of wellbeing to bring you wellness wisdom you can trust. Now this week we are still on lockdown and social distancing and if you're listening to this at the time of going out on air in April 2020, that's why. So we are not filming this but bringing this to you with my guest not beside me here but down the lines. So excuse us if we get the odd glitch, but it is very well worth taking a listen to as I'm talking to one of the UK's top migraine and headache specialists, Dr. Katie Munro from the National Migraine Centre. And we're talking about how we can better help this massively common and often undiagnosed and untreated medical condition. So Katie, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on. You're such an expert. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's <laughs> great to be able to talk about migraine. Well, I really wanted to go back and ask how you came to specialise because it's it's an unusual thing, isn't it, to have a GP that focuses on migraine? So it's interesting you should ask that question because I have a bit of a hobby horse, which is about people saying, oh, I just get just the normal headaches. And I am very keen for people not to just put up with just the normal headaches. They need to get a diagnosis. So there was a study a while ago that showed that if people went into their GPs and, and were complaining of headache, 98% of them had migraine. Um, wow. If the GP diagnosed... If the GP diagnosed tension headaches, uh, they were wrong 97% of the time. It was actually migraine. So migraine are much more common than people realize. So we don't really, um, what we like to do is to say, right, tell me about the headaches you're describing as your normal headaches and let's find out what they actually Mm. really are. Mm. Um, But migraine and migraine is is the pronunciation we get tangled up with sometimes. Yes. So tell me about this. Am am, am I not saying it correctly? No, no, there's no right way. I think people often ask us that. And it it comes from the word hemicrania, meaning half the head. Um, And so strictly people can say migraine and that's right. Um, but we sort of get into habits of saying migraine. Yes. And so it, in the, 
both is acceptable. Okay, but, oh, good. Uh, I know <laughs> it, 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 it can change throughout a conversation sometimes. Yes. So, so what, what causes a headache to start with? I mean, if, if, if headaches are not normal and the majority of bad headaches are actually migraine, what, what is causing? Talk us through the physiology of the body that actually gives us a headache, a pain in the head. So there's no, uh, there's no um, such thing as just a normal headache. And people quite commonly say, oh, I don't get migraine, I get just a normal headache. And I say to them, let's uh, tr- try and drill down by asking some relevant questions and find out whether or not uh, that's actually um, a diagnosis that needs to be made because there's no such thing as just a normal headache. Mm. If you've got a headache, you need to find out what's causing it. So uh, there was a study that showed that um, if people were going into GPs with uh, symptoms of headache, about 98% of the time that would be migraine and uh, not wow. necessarily recognized. Um, but if GPs were actually diagnosing tension headache they were wrong about 97 percent of the time the actual um the actual diagnosis was migraine so it's a really really common thing gosh my goodness so do we what is actually causing the headache you saying that virtually every headache we get has got some connection to a migraine it is an incredibly common thing Uh, and so yes an awful lot of the time people are having headaches which they don't realize a migraine. Mm. So migraine is a genetic condition. We know that it is running in families, even if people don't know anybody in their family who's got it. And there's a number of reasons why that's the case. So sometimes in days gone by, people would just retire to their bedrooms for three days and uh, nobody actually diagnosed them with migraine because there wasn't an awful lot you could do about it back in the last uh, you know, beginning of the last century or or earlier. So sometimes they didn't have a diagnosis. Sometimes they thought it was just a normal headache mm-hmm. and just put up with it. And we still hear that too often. Um, but it is a genetic condition. So there's often, if you ask uh, more specific questions about, you know, where people um, sensitive when they have the headache, were sensitive to light or sound, uh, did they feel nauseous? Then that's giving us clues that they are suffering from migraine. So the genes mean that if you've inherited that packet of genes, and we think there are at least 40 genes which are are implicated in migraine, they um, mean that your brain is always a bit more sensitive to sensory inputs and changes than people who don't have those migraine genes. So what I tend to say to people is that change is a key word, and it Mm -hmm. can be change in your internal environment or your external environment that triggers whether or not you will get a migraine so a number of things changing together pushes your brain irritability towards a threshold so that's what we call the threshold theory of migraine now what kind of things change can be any number of things so internally it could be your Um, blood sugar drops it could be that you've had a disturbed pattern of sleep it could be that you've had too much sleep Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it can be things like hormonal changes or the stress stresses in your situation leading to stress hormones increasing Mm -hmm. or sometimes even decreasing so change in either direction and then it can be things around you like um poor air quality, stuffy rooms, uh, flashing lights or glare. Some people are very sensitive to patterns like striped Venetian blinds, things like that. 
Um, sometimes barometric pressure, weather changes. And what seems to happen to trigger the actual pain or the symptoms of migraine, which are not just confined to headache pain, um, is that neurochemicals build up in the brain. So these are proteins made in the brain and they uh, increase to a level where they set off like an electrical depolarization going across various places in the brain and depending on where it travels uh, depends on what symptoms people get with their migraines. So yeah, it's a kind of chemical process uh, in our brains that causes the pain. Mm. Uh, presuming, assuming that we have these genes and we're predisposed to it. That's right, yes. And so some people can have migraine and they only have ever have one in their entire life. Other people will have migraine frequently when they're teenagers and lots of changes happen if you think about what's happening in a teenager's life. Um, and then it may go away again and not come back until, uh, you know, they have a, an episode of uh, lots of changes happening like a new job or a house move or maybe they've got... Um, going starting through the menopause or something yes. like that. So it, it's, it's such a variable condition. I think that's why sometimes people get confused and think, oh, well, it isn't like I imagine migraine to be, so it must be just a normal headache. Yes, I mean, I, for me, I, in my experience, it's very interesting. I never thought that I had ever had a migraine, um, but uh -huh. I did get very bad headaches in my late 40s. Um, when I was super stressed, it was a, a very, very stressful time at work. And I remember having headaches that were so bad, I had to go and lie down, you know, and, and the only thing that helped me actually was ibuprofen, interestingly, none of the other painkillers came near it. Uh, and I would just have to take the day off, that that was it. Uh, and I just sort of dismissed it as tension building up. Um, but looking back, yeah. I've obviously written a lot and done a lot of work more recently about menopause and perimenopause. And yes. it's interesting, the link that you talk about there with hormones. And yes. is it can it be that this drop of our estrogen in our typically our mid 40s, but it can be earlier, obviously, is triggering yeah. that genetic response that we already have unknowingly, perhaps? Yes, absolutely. Um, and speaking personally, I didn't start getting any headaches at all until I was in my 40s. So I think, uh, yes, it can be that you that your body starts to change, but it doesn't necessarily change in a very smooth, linear fashion as your mm. estrogen levels drop. It can be down a bit, up a bit. <laughs> yes. And so, and so over the course of a number of years, pre-menopause, you can have quite a fluctuating estrogen level. Mm. And we know that it is the estrogen level falling that seems to trigger quite powerfully um, yes. a migraine to happen. And so this is why we uh, see more migraine in women than in men, mm -hmm. because we have cycles. And we see a lot of women who have a quite a strong link with a menstrual cycle. So they will say, well, I get the headaches every time I'm about to have a period or two days into having my period. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, an, an awful lot of people find that uh, hormonal changes are quite a powerful trigger. Mm. For me, it was only really in hindsight. I, I've been taking HRT now for you know se several years and 
I just realised that I would always previously always have a packet of ibuprofen in my bag, always, just as a as a precaution. Um, yeah. And I just realised not that long ago, actually, that oh, I haven't had a headache for, gosh, I can't remember uh-huh. when. So, yes. <laughs> you know, isn't that fascinating? So, and I think I'm sort of fortunate that, you know, I, I've been able to get through that. And I know a lot of women um, perhaps don't get through that. What about the link with other hormones, things like cortisol, the stress hormone and, and testosterone? Do they play a part? They're not quite as significant, but I think changing levels right. uh, can certainly contribute. So anything changing and mm-hmm. people often uh, come to us and say, oh, my my GP or my friends or whoever said, oh, it's probably stress. Mm. So we hear this a lot. And again, I feel that's a little bit, sometimes it's said as in a slightly dismissive way. Yes. And and then that can make people feel a bit guilty that they should be coping better. And, mm. you know, they feel a bit worried that they need to just chill out and then it would all be better. And of course, it's not that simple. Yeah. Um, so I was saying to somebody earlier, you know, um, Stress, of course, brings with it a lot of change very often. So if you're stressed, you may not be eating as regularly as you should be. Mm-hmm. You may not be sleeping as um, naturally and restoratively as you should be. And also you may uh, have neck and shoulder tension from being stressed. You may not be exercising as much as would be helpful. So stress in itself is a little bit oversimplifying mm-hmm. uh, the case. But we do also know that there's such a thing as a sort of relaxation migraine that people get at the weekends. Right. So when they've been (laughs) powering on through or on holidays, powering on through the week and then at the weekend they get it. And that's sometimes if you cross question people, it's because they've they've had more alcohol on a Friday night and then had a lion on a Saturday morning. And so added in a lot of change Mm. uh, into their routine, which wouldn't normally be there during the week. So is that one of the strategies then for helping those who do get these regular terrible headaches is try and get some routines, you know, go to bed at the same time, keep your alcohol level steady, um, eat at the same time, keep your stress levels constant, not so much whether it's the up and down, but it's the consistent nature of, of whatever it is that you're that you're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. I think routine is definitely your friend if you're a migraine sufferer. And right. it can sound a bit a bit obvious and, you know, a bit boring. And But what I say to people is, you know, if I said to you, do you eat regularly? You would probably say yes, because most mm-hmm. people have a pattern. Yes. But um, I, what I tend to do is drill down and say, well, when exactly do you eat? And when you start to ask people in detail, well, what time do you get up? When do you have your breakfast? Mm. I had uh, somebody in clinic recently who said, oh, well, I don't normally have breakfast. I just wait through to lunch. She eats regularly. She just Mm -hmm. doesn't eat very frequently. And so that will give her very big swings in her blood sugar, Mm. which will probably give her brain a giant leap of irritability towards the migraine threshold. So we put in place a lot of very basic lifestyle advice which people have often not heard before Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we did our heads up podcast is to kind of get this stuff out there emphasize how important it is definitely so what would your response be then if i said to you that i'm doing a lot of intermittent fasting so i'm finding actually not having my breakfast really helpful 
I'm getting more energy, I'm resting my gut, so I'm hopefully giving my gut microbes a chance to repopulate. And there's some interesting research coming out into the health benefits of intermittent fasting and going down to two meals a day. And I've been very fortunate. I haven't seen any adverse effects. I've only seen a benefit of that. But would you caution against that perhaps for people with migraine? I certainly would be careful about doing things like that. I Mm -hmm. think, um, especially if you're in a time when your migraines are coming quite frequently, then I would definitely say, be very careful about doing intermittent fasting, any of the sort of 5-2 diets or, you know, anything. I think I agree with you, Liz. I think there's a lot of evidence that these can be healthy in in the general population. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think with the migraine brain you have to it it depends a bit where you are in terms of your migraine frequency and if if everything else is fine and controlled you will probably be fine to try that Mm -hmm. um so just wanted to mention about the keto diet yes because uh quite a lot of people are experimenting with the keto diet which um has got some definite evidence to be helpful in certain neurological conditions including epilepsy and so the keto diet is quite an extreme diet to follow for any length of time because it involves changing the amount of carbohydrate and reducing that down to Mm. about five percent of your daily daily intake of of um calories so i mean i am a great one for trying things before I recommend them to my patients. Mm-hmm. So, so I decided to try the keto diet and see how practical it was. Um, and I think it's something that's, if you're very single-minded about it, it can be um, certainly it's potentially quite helpful. Mm. But there is this thing called keto flu, where people changing from burning carbohydrates to burning ketone bodies, which is what you're aiming for with this diet. Um, the theory being that ketone bodies are anti-inflammatory and therefore will be calming to the irritable bl- uh, brain. Sometimes that can make people feel quite poorly for a couple of weeks while they do that. So again, mm-hmm. I tend we tend generally from the center to recommend low carbohydrate diet. Yes. Uh, but not necessarily to go full keto. Mm. Interesting. I mean, L- Lily's Lily's about to do that, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I think, you know, there's, it's very interesting. A lot of research going into these kind of diets, but, but they are quite hard to do. <laughs> yes. Um, so changing, I normally say to people, look, just look at the things that you're eating. Mm. And especially if you're trying to eat something every three to four hours, which is what we recommend if you're in a, in a bad bout of frequent migraine, mm. have something every three to four hours and a bedtime snack, which is not carbohydrate, yes. which is slow release energy, so protein or fat or combination. Well, if you're having carbs, have protein or fat with it. Yeah. And that seems to slow the absorption. I certainly found when I was getting my bad headaches that if I had any sugar, it made it much yeah. worse. You know, is, mm. is 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 there truth in that? Is is sugar a, a, an inflammatory yeah. Yeah. substance? I think we all have to be careful with sugar and carbohydrates generally. I think the more that we learn about the inflammatory effect of carbohydrates, the more I I find myself in all sorts of various saying to people, you know, better to cut back a bit on the carbs because. Mm. Um, it, it does seem to be something that migraine sufferers are sensitive to. I also mm. speak to, we have a number of people with other conditions who also get migraines. So conditions like fibromyalgia or polycystic ovary syndrome or um, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, syndrome 
often people benefit from just changing the balance mm. and reducing the carbohydrates and of course in diabetes. Mm. Absolutely, completely. So are these linked then? Do you do you see a pattern with polycystic ovaries, fibromyalgia and migraine? It, it, does there seem to be a neurological connection? I think we don't quite know why they're linked, but certainly I would say that we see a lot of people with migraine who also have chronic, either chronic pain conditions or conditions that affect the quality of their sleep and the restorative nature. And sleep is really important for migraine sufferers, getting a good quality eight hours with deep restorative sleep mm-hmm. um, is very essential. In fact, there were some studies that showed that maybe migraine sufferers need a little bit more sleep. Really? But then, interestingly, if you then have a lion to try and catch up on your sleep, then you end up having more likelihood of having a migraine. Yes. So, it's, <laughs> again, it's back to routine. Right. Routine, routine. Good quality people, sleep and a routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the migraine uh, people with migraine who who were pulling faces when i'm saying about not having a line are usually the teenagers <laughs> right. because of course they are having to get up at uh, some unearthly hour um to go off to school and, and then they, the they weekend, want a lion really and of course to, that's so that's what yeah. they shouldn't be doing then they should still be getting up at the same time yes uh, i have that's a lot hard. of sympathy for yeah. them because it is hard yeah and of course so many you know i i often uh, Think, you know, you think about what things are changing for teenagers. First of all, puberty, growth spurts, mm. sleep. You need more sleep as a teenager. We know that's true. Um, we also have an awful lot of stress on teenagers these days, including mm-hmm. exams. Mm. You know, initially just changing to secondary school is, is quite a traumatic thing for some teenagers, exciting for others. Um so, yeah, I we love seeing kids at the National Migrant Centre because I kind of feel that the earlier you can get people understanding what's going yes. on, the more, the more control they can have. Mm. So, yeah. So what kind of lifestyle changes then can help with migraines if you want to, you know, get on to a, a better way of living? We've talked about the importance of sleep, about having routine. Are there things like diet We've talked about keto diet, but what about things like trigger foods? I've heard that histamine-forming foods, fermented foods, although they're good for our gut, they can actually be bad for migraine. Well, this has been a, a long-standing thing, and and lots of people have bought books that say, oh, follow this diet and that diet, specifically excluding trigger foods. We There's not ever been a study that proves that there is a trigger food. So not so chocolate it, or caffeine? No, mm. no chocolate. Well, I'll come on to caffeine because I think that's really interesting as well. So chocolate got a very bad reputation in the migraine world before we understood that in the phases of migraines, there's a phase when migraine is beginning before people have got the headache called the prodromal phase. So that can be a good day of or maybe even two days before the headache becomes apparent. So in that phase, people often crave chocolate. And so what's happened Mm. in the past is people have craved chocolate, eaten the chocolate, and then got a headache Uh and blamed the chocolate. But actually, (laughs) the chocolate craving is a symptom of a migraine coming rather than a trigger. Oh, how interesting. uh, 
So you can still enjoy your chocolate, but just be aware that it means that something's coming. So Easter treats are fine. (laughs) Um, Obviously, be careful because, of course, chocolate does often contain a lot of carbohydrates if it's uh, more sugary version. So, but chocolate in itself doesn't seem to be a trigger. Now, I will always have some patients who say, well, I know if I have this, then I will get one. Now, if that's the case, and I have Mm -hmm. a good friend who says, I know if I have a satsuma, within an hour, I will get an aura. So that is anecdotally a Mm -hmm. trigger for her, but Mm. nobody's ever managed to prove it. So I would say to my patients, be it's much more important about when you eat and the balance of carbs and protein and fat rather than submitting yourself to excluding Mm. this and excluding that and excluding the other. If you can sometimes eat it and you're fine, then it's not a food trigger. Right. Interesting. What about nutrients that can help? Are there nutritional supplements? People talk about vitamin D, people talk about magnesium, for example. Yes. So I'm a big fan of magnesium. Uh, There's been, with the nutritional supplements, there are three that have got some evidence in studies. It's, It's, there's not been a lot of studies, but These are the three that we tend to say, well, there's more evidence for these than for others. And they are magnesium, vitamin B2, that's riboflavin, and coenzyme Q10. Mm. Um, They did some studies on all of these in uh, people who were put on them in high doses and took them for a minimum of three months. And they seem to benefit some people. But we have a bit of a mantra in the clinic, which is, Nothing works for everybody. Right. So yes. so there's no one thing that you can say, oh, you'll definitely, this will definitely help you. The answer is to, to pick one mm-hmm. or two or three. We haven't got studies that compare them head to head. Decide which one you think might be helpful that you can afford to buy because they're mostly um, things that people have to buy. Yes. And and give it a go. But if you're going to give it a go, you need to push up the dose to high dose and you need to keep on it for at least three months. So when you say high dose, can you give us an example? What are you talking about if you're the average adult? So the uh, the dose for magnesium citrate that they studied was 600 milligrams daily. Uh, the dose for riboflavin, vitamin B2, was 400 milligrams daily. And the dose for coenzyme Q10 was... 300 milligrams daily in divided doses and that's the most expensive of the three Mm. i normally say to people start with magnesium because it's commonly we're it's a common thing to have a bit of a deficiency in 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 the way that our diets are with intensive farming these days Mm. and and you tend to lose magnesium if you're stressed it's also really helpful for sleep Mm-hmm. It's helpful for anxiety. It's helpful for leg cramps. It's helpful for people who have kind of muscle aches and pains. So it's generally a good thing. And usually, as long as you've got really good kidney function, um, then there's no worry. The only trouble is magnesium citrate can be quite laxative. So right. do, I, I always do warn people. I don't want okay. them to be testing me yes. while they run the bathroom so so when, um, when you say staggered doses would you be having those sort of three times a day so your 600 milligrams of magnesium citrate would you be having that broken down into 200 milligrams three times a day i don't think we really know whether that is necessary or not so 
for convenience, I normally say to people, take everything in one go. Oh, right. I don't, okay. I mm-hmm. don't think we have any uh, definitive proof that one mm-hmm. way is better than another way. And you mentioned about vitamin D. Um, there is not a lot of evidence for vitamin D for migraine. But there was, I think, one very small study that showed that if people were deficient in vitamin D and had chronic migraine, that improving their vitamin D levels was helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's such a useful, important vitamin anyway. Yes. Um, so I do often have conversations about vitamin D levels and, you know, so useful for strengthening your bones and for immune system and all Absolutely. sorts of other things. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What about things like probiotics? I know there have been some interesting studies recently looking at specific strains of beneficial bacteria specifically for headaches. Um, there's been one particular study that, um, that we... Um, talk to the company about now probiotics are very much um, a hot topic at the moment and so I think anything that we can do to nurture our gut flora is a very good idea because we know there's a big gut brain connection in everybody not just in migraine sufferers but we know that there's a, a gut brain connection we know that the gut produces a lot of and neurochemicals and so it makes sense to me to keep your gut in as good health as possible Mm. so as i understand it feeding the good bacteria with a wide variety of um, different foods 
different, uh, particularly vegetables. Um, you know, eating a rainbow is a very good idea. Yes. Multicolored vegetables. And I think though we've been told for ages to eat five a day, I think that's probably very much on the low side. Yes, more and like 25. More, <laughs> yes, the more variety that you can get into your diet, the better it is for your gut microbiota. So whether it's worth adding in a supplement on top of that, I'm not 100% convinced. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, generally probiotics, prebiotic foods are probably the way to go. Uh, and just trying to avoid taking, I mean, as we all should be trying to avoid taking antibiotics unnecessarily, because we yes. do know that those those blitz the gut flora and that's not a great thing for your immune system. Absolutely. So we've covered oh, off things. Sorry, go on. I was going to tell you about caffeine. Oh, yes, caffeine. Go on then. <laughs> Have we got some good news here or not? Well, it's kind of good news, bad news, careful news, really. <laughs> so caffeine, um, if you drink about five or six cups of strong coffee a day as a migraine sufferer, it's very likely that will aggravate your migraine. And there's some evidence that that, especially in women, can push them into a more of a chronic migraine rather than an episodic migraine state. So if you then stop all your six coffees a day, and go down to nothing, mm. you will get withdrawal headaches. I've had those. <laughs> Not nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the message with caffeine is go slowly, go gently, probably reduce your caffeine to one or maybe two only in the morning. Yes. Because if you drink caffeine after lunch, it hangs around in your body and can mm. really upset your sleep. So I always say to people, don't change caffeine suddenly. Do it gently. Pull it to the morning. Wean yourself down. Some people prefer to come off caffeine altogether, and that can be very helpful for some people. Uh, other people can tolerate the odd coffee. Yes. Um, but if, if you're sensitive to caffeine and you start to get a migraine coming, if you take your painkillers, simple painkillers like aspirin, soluble aspirin or or even paracetamol, which is actually relatively weak for migraine pain on its own, mm. um, or uh, ibuprofen, if you take it with some caffeine, then that can give it extra power. And so it's an interesting one, caffeine. Mm. Yeah, not, not just a simple yes, no. Right, interesting. So we've, we've talked about foods, we've talked about probiotics, uh, caffeine, nutrients. We've touched on hormones, you know, potentially replacing estrogen might help. For, for women or looking or younger women, particularly looking at the contraceptive pill, can that help or hinder? Well, with, uh, younger women who have migraine with aura need to be careful. So we know going back to what I was saying about estrogen being a significant factor, we know that if uh, women have aura, then having estrogen containing contraceptive pills is, is a definite no-no. Uh, it's a risk factor. Uh, for for them getting a stroke. Now, that doesn't mean they will get a stroke, but it means that the chances are higher than they need to be because there's plenty of other ways of having contraception that don't contain mm. estrogen. Um, high estrogen levels are associated with triggering aura as well. So that's why sometimes women develop aura for the first time during pregnancy when their estrogen levels have risen. Um, but uh, contraceptives which don't contain estrogen are fine for migraine with aura and 
contraceptives which do contain estrogen are fine for women without aura, as okay. long as they never had aura. So could, could, can we define what, what an aura is? I'm not entirely sure what yes, we're talking about yeah. here. So I was just um, going to explain. So what we, what we describe as an aura is a change, which is a, a visual, usually a visual change that comes and goes for an hour before the headache phase started. So it could be flashing lights, zigzags, blurred vision. Some people get multicolored lights. Some people get black and white. Some people get distortions of their vision. But the key thing for knowing whether it's aura is that it starts, lasts for anything between 20 minutes and half an hour to an hour, and then goes away, and then the next phase of the migraine starts. So that is our definition of aura. Now, some people get changes within the headache phase, but that's not counted as aura. Um, and some people get vis- get aura which is not visual, so they may get um, tingling or numbness or weakness of one side that comes and then goes away. So they may get facial drooping or uh, right hand feels as heavy as if they can't move it properly. Uh, there are different types of aura, but visual aura is by far and away the most common. And how? So what's, what's the percentage? Sorry to interrupt you. What? What? You know, proportion of people with migraine would have aura as as part of that? Uh, it's about thirty percent. Mm-hmm. So most people don't have aura. Most people have migraine without aura. Uh, but there are um, quite a number who do get aura. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the other there are some people who sometimes get aura and sometimes don't right. or who've had aura earlier in their lives and then they stop getting aura and it changes. Because migraine is a bit like that. It's, mm. It doesn't follow any strict rules or patterns it's in an individual tricky or devil, episode isn't it? for episode. Mm. It is a tricky So devil. let's talk about the available treatments then. Um, would, you have a, would you have a different option, whether you were an aura migraine sufferer or not, or are the treatments applied to both? The treatments are applied to both. It's really only that significance about contraception with estrogen that makes right. it important to distinguish. Mm-hmm. Um, all the treatments that we have, so we divide treatments into uh, acute rescue treatments for the episodes and preventers. Mm -hmm. And then I, so I always start with lifestyle as a preventer. So doing all the things we've just discussed. But then if we're talking about more interventions that doctors get involved with, prevention can be divided into medications or devices or injections. And so usually what happens is that people will see their GP and if their GP is um, up to speed on migraine, they may say, right, well, you're getting more than about five or six episodes of migraine per month. So now we need to look at you having a tablet preventer. That's what they normally start with. And there's a wide range of different medications which we've borrowed from other conditions that we use uh, to try and help people uh, prevent their migraine and quieten down. The aim of prevention is to quieten down that irritability of the brain mm. by uh, the target is by 50%. So we feel we've succeeded if the uh, impact has reduced by 50%. So is that using drugs like sort of anti epilepsy drugs or um, yes. beta blockers, you anti- know, those, those kinds yes. of things? Yeah, um, anti-epileptics, anti, uh, there's, so there's antidepressants like amitriptyline or nortriptyline. 
that are used in much lower doses initially for migraine prevention. And then we gradually increase the dose to make sure that people are tolerating them. And with any preventative oral medication, we would always say you need to take it for at least three months in the maximum tolerated dose before you can decide if it works for you. So we see lots of people who've tried one on a little tiny dose, they've taken it for a fortnight and they said, well, I don't think it's done anything, so I've given up. Right. And uh, so, so that doesn't mean it won't work. It means you may need to creep the dose up gently. We always go gently with irritable brains. Mm. <laughs> so go start low, increase slow, and then push up the dose to, the, to where they say, yeah, I think I, I don't want to go high because I think I might get, be getting side effects at that low, higher dose. Then we just go da- down one step and then say, right, stay on that dose for at least three months. And then we'll decide if it's really helping because the brain's changing slowly. Mm-hmm. And then for those who, who do that for the three months and then these sort of first line of treatments, if you like, don't work, what would you then step it up to? So we would normally say it depends on, um, it, it's so much a discussion with the patient. So it really depends on whether they want to keep trying tablets or whether it's, a lot of people don't want tablets. Um, so they'd rather try something like one of the new um, neuromodulation devices. So there are a, a, a couple of neuromodulation devices we use for migraine. One is called the Cephaly or carefully, I'm never quite sure, um, the carefully dual, and the other is called the STMS Mini. And these are um, devices that, well, the cephaly you put in between your eyebrows on the forehead looks a bit Star trek I always think. And uh, you, you press the buttons, and it makes a kind of an impulse, electrical impulse. And that is helpful because there are a couple of nerves either side of the bridge of your nose going up over your forehead which are implicated in triggering migraine attacks and so by disrupting their impulses that seems to help some people um the other one is a is called the stms it's trans magnetic stimulation and you put that at the back of your head and you press the buttons and it gives a magnetic pulse across the base of the brain and that done regularly seems to help uh, prevent some migraine in some people but again back to my mantra nothing works for everybody yeah. it's sometimes tricky to get those on the nhs um, but the cephaly you can buy uh, mm-hmm. off Amazon or through our clinic um, the stms is used i know guys and St. promises i've done quite a lot of research on that one as well um, so those can be quite nice if people are like, oh, I'm fed up with tablets. I want to try something different. Mm. Uh, and these are devices that you'd use yourself at home daily as a as a potential preventative. Absolutely. Yeah. So the carefully you can either use uh, for 20 minutes a day um, for at least three months or you can use it for an hour when you start getting a migraine coming on. So that mm. has a dual, hence the name dual. Uh, so that can be used as a preventer or in an acute treatment. Mm. Uh, the STMS is more commonly used as a as a regular thing. You give yourself several pulses morning and evening on a regular basis for a number of months Gosh, to see whether. Yeah, and then what about the injectables? What about things like Botox being used for for migraine? Oh, Botox! Yes, Botox is uh, Botox was originally found to be helpful in migraine sufferers because uh, people who were having Botox for cosmetic purposes suddenly found that their migraines got better. And so, <laughs> Fantastic! So the, the serendipity of vanity. Yes. 
Um, so, um, so some researchers in the United States started looking into the use of Botox and working out a protocol to use it. So the protocol that we use now is called the preempt protocol. And there is some very fixed uh, patterns that the Botox need to be injected in and certain strengths that we need to use, which are different from the cosmetic ones. Uh, so when people come and say, well, I've had a bit of Botox and it didn't help, it's often because they've only had uh, a very small amount or in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. So we um, and all the clinics, uh, all the headache specialist clinics would use a preempt protocol. And that sounds alarming because it's at least 31 injections wow. around the forehead around the temples, around the back of the head and in the neck and shoulders. Um, and although it sounds alarming, actually most people tolerate it very well. You always have to have at least two sets, um, which are separated by 12 weeks. And if you are going to have it on the NHS, uh, then you need to have tried and failed with at least three tablet preventers first because mm -hmm. it's expensive. Right. Uh, now, we there's a, a bit of debate as to whether that's the, the right way to do it. But the NHS, of course, has to be very careful on what it spends its money on. Mm. Uh, and so that's the rules at the moment. And unfortunately, um, headache services in the NHS are very overloaded, um, which is why, you know, at the National Migraine Centre, we offer a self-referral system so people can just come and see us but of course then as a charity we we can't mm. fund it so we do have to charge people for botox yeah. but it can be really helpful yes in some people yeah, yeah. really amazing good. amazing and then th there's another injection isn't there that's is it coming over from the state something to do with proteins and calcium in the brain that's right not quite calcium and um, so there are two other kinds of injection the one you're thinking of is called the is the anti CGRP uh, injection so CGRP stands for calcitonin gene related oh, yes. yep. peptide <laughs> glad so you said that it, <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, it is one of the key pain neurochemicals that's been found and been studied for many years now uh, and found to be implicated in migraine pain pathways. So once it was identified, and there are other ones, so uh, there's always this thing about it, nothing works for everybody. And so some people have other pain chemical pathways that are more important, but commonly CGRP is raised in people with migraine. So what has been developed are a range of medications specifically, first things ever developed specifically for migraine sufferers. So uh, one of them works by binding to the receptor and the other two work by binding to the actual neurochemical. So for a neurochemical to work, it has to land on a receptor to trigger the pain pathway. At the moment, all three, well, there are four. One is an intravenous one, so we don't hear so much about that. But the other three are available in the States and are available in this country, but not necessarily on the NHS. Mm -hmm. And they're an injection technique, which you you get um, a, your injection and you do it yourself at home once a month. Mm. And we've seen some really quite dramatic reactions to those positive reactions to those injections. So some people have come back to us and said, I have had migraine chronic migraine for 35 years and my life is completely changed by wow. this medication Good heavens. Uh, it's 
absolutely wonderful when you have somebody that works well on. Amazing. How, how, how long does it take to see a result for those people? It can work very nicely within the first three months. Some people even faster than that, sometimes mm-hmm. even in the first month. And it, luckily, they have very few side effects in most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the most common side effect is constipation. Uh, some people get a bit of soreness where they inject, but on the whole, very, very well tolerated and safe. The problem, um, the problem with the CGRP injections is that, of course, being a new drug, they're very expensive. Mm. So the NHS has been debating whether or not they're good enough because they have to look at all the scientific study evidence. And at the moment, only one of them has been approved for use on the NHS, and that is pending the actual confirmation of the rollout of it. And unfortunately, at the moment, that there's a delay on that. Yes. Um, some of them, two of them have been approved and have been started to be used in Scotland, but England, Wales, and Northern Ireland are lagging a bit behind. Um, we so we, going back to efficacy i would say our impression because we we can prescribe these privately to people who can afford this um expensive treatment and so we have quite a lot of experience now with prescribing them and i would say my uh, our findings are that about a third of people have a really good response to them. About a third of people have about a 50% response, which is still, people mm. will take that. You know, people are quite happy with that when they've got really bad daily migraines. Um, and then a third of people would say, well, it didn't really work. I don't feel it's helped me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they switch to a different one and that works better. Right. But uh, I think we have to guard against telling people that this is a miracle for everybody yes um because if if you're desperate and you try one of these and it doesn't work then people can get very disheartened yes um so i would just put a word of caution about those really but they're very exciting yes very exciting oh well thank heavens and i just before we finish i'd like to just touch on histamine because i don't think we covered that particularly i know a lot of people at this time of year going into hay fever season are actually taking antihistamines now what's what's the connection with with histamine so um histamine it's a very interesting one it's a uh, recently something i've been looking into even more at the moment in this country don't have a histamine particularly on our list of things to look out for but there are definitely some people who have a thing called mast cell activation syndrome or mcas who seem to be releasing histamine rather more easily than they should do and we have started asking specific questions about this in the clinic and uncovered quite a number of people who are getting migraine and seem to have quite a strong histamine uh, release so they Mm. may get rashes or food intolerances or they may get asthma or indigestion or IBS there's a whole range of different things released uh, you know caused by histamine release so it's interesting there's not a lot of studies on it um, but a simple antihistamines that you can buy over the counter some people have tried them and if they have this hypersensitivity to histamine then it certainly is very safe to try those Mm. but it's it's 
not something that's on all the guidelines at the moment. I think abroad they may be giving antihistamine tablets a bit more frequently. Certainly in Spain, there's a lot of interest in histamine. Oh, so it's not something. Yeah. I think we'll learn more about it. Yeah. Yes. And I just wanted to ask a question slightly off migraine, but maybe related cluster headaches and other oh, types yes. of extreme headache, do you differentiate? Yes. I, know, I know that you say that, you know, a headache is not just a headache. It's something that, you know, we should take seriously and, and the vast majority are, are migraine. But what about these other forms of extreme headache pain? Yeah, yeah. Um, I sometimes joke with my colleagues that we should not be called the National Migraine Centre. We should be called the International Any Type of Headache Centre. <laughs> it, really, it doesn't really fit on the head of notepaper so well. Um, so, yes, we are very, very keen to see people who think they might have cluster headache or any kind of headache that hasn't been diagnosed, or even people who ha- are getting recurrent dizziness, brain fog, that kind of thing can be migraine, mm. abdominal mig- a recurrent abdominal pain, particularly in children. So, yes, there's a huge amount of um, uh, discomfort and distress and even disability out there from the different kinds of headache. Cluster headache is much rarer. Yes. So occasionally we will see people who have cluster headache who also have migraine because it's very common. So migraine is very common and sometimes people also coincidentally get cluster headache. Cluster headache is a completely different primary headache, so a separate condition from migraine and causes one of the most severe headaches mm. that, that we know of. It's always one-sided and it's often associated with a very sudden onset of severe headache, watering eye, puffy, stuffy nose, um, sometimes a redness of the eye. And one of the key questions that we ask is, when you get your headache, do you want to lie still and quiet, or do you want to pace about? Mm-hmm. And people with cluster headache are much more likely to say, oh, no, I couldn't possibly stay still. I have to pace up and down. Really? Sometimes they're banging their head. Sometimes they're getting somebody else to bang their head. Um, It's very intense. Yeah, I I have a friend who has cluster headaches and it's absolutely awful to watch. And she's actually helped with oxygen. She has an oxygen tank at home. Excellent. So there are some very good treatments available for cluster, but what doesn't work is ordinary migraine treatment. Right. So one of the the things we use for migraine is sumatriptan tablets, but they are really useless for cluster headache it needs to be sumatriptan injections Mm -hmm. oxygen can be very helpful and then there are various preventative medications that can uh, slow the progression of a of a cluster headache but really needs a proper diagnosis from a specialist center fantastic Um, well we'll definitely be putting all the the details up so that people can can come and find you because this is i think going to be so so helpful for so many out there before we finish katie i'd love to ask you particularly right now at this time that where we find ourselves with the current pandemic and our restrictions on movements and all of that, what would you be saying to to those who are really struggling with migraine? How how can they be looking after themselves during the COVID lockdown? Oh, there's there's a lot of things to be saying. First of all, we are still open and we are still uh, having consultations with patients, albeit they're on the phone or by Skype. So if you're worried, 
give us, uh, you know, go on our website and ask for a consultation and we will fit you in. We would direct people towards our Heads Up podcast, which is on Apple, Spotify, on our website, all the usual places. Great. Um, Routine, I think, is key. If you're at home and you're tempted to change your pattern or your daily pattern, then you're all um, obviously getting stressed about things and worried. Routine is key. Doing some things that help with de-stressing, like mindfulness or yoga, or trying to go and do your but your daily exercise. All of these mm. things can be helpful preventing a migraine. The people who are suffering more, the people who rely on Botox. And yes. the great occipital nerve injections, which we didn't go into much detail, which is the third type of injection with right. a steroid and an anesthetic that sometimes is very helpful for either migraine or cluster headache. And of course, we can't do any of those and nor can any of the headache clinics in the yeah. um, in the UK at the moment. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's about talking to either your GP or headache specialist about what are your options from mm. uh, from that point of view because we are still able to give people uh, a lot of different choices. I always say to people this is plan A, but there's always a plan B. You know, wow. people say, "Oh, I've tried everything." They never have. <laughs> I've never found somebody who's tried everything. I can always think of something else. <laughs> oh, well, Katie, that is a really positive, a helpful note to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we will be putting all the details of all the resources and all the links, the links to your podcast, the links to the centre, links to other suggestions. Um, but for now, I'd just like to say a huge thank you for uh, allowing us to explore this incredibly important subject that affects so many of us. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, my pleasure. Well, that is the end of today's show. And as always, you will find all the resources mentioned over at lizardwellbeing.com, where you can also subscribe to the free weekly newsletter for much more well-being wisdom, including nutritional guidance, super healthy seasonal recipes and exclusive discounts. Do please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. This will ensure next week's episode is downloaded safely. And a huge thanks to all those who've already taken the time to leave me a review. It really does help other listeners find the show and the information they may well need to stay fit and well, perhaps now more than ever. So until the next time, go well. Bye-bye. Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, with production by Amaryllis Earl and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue, with thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry champagne, 
Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.